We have some second guessing to get to. We have some uh, some angst to get to. But I do want to start with a positive today, John, just because I think it got overshadowed by uh, an ugly loss in Detroit. Justin De- Jefferson, for a franchise that has had Randy Moss and Chris Carter and Ahmad Rashad and Stefan Diggs and Percy Harvin and many other great wide receivers, set a franchise record for yards receiving in a game. I don't want that to get overlooked. That is a remarkable accomplishment. It is, Jim, and I'm glad you just like it, – it's good to kind of lay it out that way with that context. Um, you know, this is not a Chicago Bears receiver. This is not, you know, pick a Jacksonville Jaguars receiver setting a a, 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 a receiving mark. When you wear a Viking helmet, and you are a receiver, you come from a deep and talented and long and proud history of great, not just good, great receivers. Like you said, Rashad, Anthony Carter, Chris Carter, Jake Reed, Randy Moss, Percy Harvin, uh, all the way up in that Stefan Diggs. And so to, to climb that mountain and be at the top of it in a game too, Jim, where they needed every bit of it. They were trying, obviously, with the offense to win a shootout with the Lions because the defense wasn't wasn't playing well. And we'll get into that, I'm sure. But the the thing the the the, the I guess importance of that game, the the importance of the production for Justin Jefferson to sit up there, that is rarefied air. And it could have been even bigger if the officials didn't even uh, had had uh, didn't, didn't whistle that play dead when he was actually not out of bounds and scored a touchdown. It could have been an even bigger number. So uh, he's a remarkable talent. I absolutely believe he belongs in the MVP conversation. Um, and it was it was a terrific performance by both him and Kirk Cousins, who I thought was outstanding as well. Cousins, I thought was exceptional under duress. I thought he hand, managed the pocket well, which hasn't always been a strength. He was really accurate. Hawkinson dropped a pass, or his numbers would have been even better. And of course, if Diggs scores that touchdown, his numbers would have been even better. I thought he was fantastic yesterday. And yet they still lost. And now let's get to the second guessing and the consternation here on the Viking Update Show, part of TalkNorth.com. Check out TalkNorth.com for all of our other shows, including Jeff Diamond's Vikings and NFL Insider. Thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. Best way to listen, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's easy. Uh, you can also go to TalkNorth.com, find all the other shows, the outdoor content, all the other uh, sports shows and variety shows. You can even follow us on Twitter at TalkNorthPod to see the shows as they are released. Uh, programming note. December 15th, Thursday night, 6.30, 6.30, Head Flyer Brewing in Northeast. We are going to run the Cheryl Reef Show in conjunction with Glory Ramsey's annual winter wear drive. It'll be a great time for a great cause. Please come out or contribute if you can. You can also, uh, if you Google the Cheryl Reef Show on social media or find it in social media, you can find out other ways to contribute if you like. We do appreciate that. John, first 10-3 and three team in NFL history with a negative point differential. I haven't looked it up, but it might be the first 10-3 and three team in NFL history to have the last-ranked defense in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think um, – so I, I'm a little less concerned, I will say, about just the point differential because in a sample size as small as 13 games, you get blown out one time, which they did against Dallas, and that's really going to – you know, mess with your rating. Now, you know, they've won games by the skin of their teeth in general. Um, but the point differential thing, 
is is important, but I don't think it's huge. To me, the big thing is obviously the defense. Uh, if there is one thing that can slow this team down, that can hold it back from accomplishing what teams of their record often do, it's absolutely that defense. They you know, they can't stop anyone. There's a reason. You know, we all kind of had our um, our, our quibbles with the decision maybe to kick the onside kick at the uh, in, in the fourth quarter there. Um, that was clearly a vote of no confidence in the defense and, from Kevin O'Connell. And when you, the, I think Paul Charchian had the had the stat this uh, this morning on Twitter. Uh, aside from Taylor Heineke. Um, the last seven quarterbacks that the uh, Vikings have faced have thrown for 329, 326, 330, 307, 382, 369, and 330 yards. And that's just too much. It's just there's there's no way that when you're facing teams in the playoffs with really good quarterbacks, with really good offenses, that they're that this team is going to be able to hold up that way. They have to find a way to make some changes, whether it's schematically, whether it's um, personnel-wise, whatever it is, to at least stop the bleeding. They are absolutely bleeding out from a defensive standpoint, and they've gotten lucky at the end of games with some um, interceptions and some turnovers and things like that. But in general, they're, uh, they're, they're just really, really struggling. That is the big red flag the dark cloud that hangs over what has been a really, really fun season so far. Uh, no doubt about it. And uh, Ed Donatel, it's just hard to give him any credit at this point uh, because there is, it's not like it's a rookie defense. It's not like it's a talentless defense. Eric Kendricks, Jordan Hicks, Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith, although he was out yesterday, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, Harrison Phillips, Daniil Hunter, Zadarius Smith. There is talent on this defense. And I, to oversimplify it, it feels like to me that Zadarius Smith is almost the whole key because when Zadarius Smith gets pressure on the quarterback, things fall into place at least somewhat. At least they make some. In, at least they make enough big plays to offset the yardage given up. When Zadarius Smith is not in the opponent's backfield, this defense falls apart. Yeah, and and I think so. If you want to give a benefit of the doubt, if you want to try and be as optimistic as you can or whatever it is about Ed Donatel, you say, hey, he took over a defense that has be had been a 4-3 defense forever, forever and ever. Um, and this is the first year of transitioning to a 3-4. So they have some players who are suited for the 3-4. They have a lot of players who are suited for the 4-3. And then maybe in another season, you can kind of keep give it, getting the turnover to get it all the way into players who are ready to run a 3-4 defense and, and best equipped to do it. And so there is that transition period that maybe they're in right now. They're sort of right in between it. That said, when you have that situation as a coach, what you have to do is make allowances for the limitations your personnel has for the scheme that you want. And then you have to adjust to that. And it just doesn't seem like there has been a whole lot of adjusting right now, especially in a season where you are piling up all of these wins. Something else has to give in terms of looking at what you're doing defensively, 
from a schematic standpoint and adjusting and changing things to meet the moment. And I just don't think they have done that to this point. I think that some of the turnover numbers have maybe masked some of their just ungodly amount of yards that they're giving up on a week by week basis. And they're wiggling out of jams at the last possible moment and making plays to their credit, but that's not sustainable. So I just think that with Ed Donatel, and we got it kind of got some hints from Kevin O'Connell after the game on Sunday that there has to at least at the very minimum be a, a hard and thorough examination of what they're doing defensively and ha- some changes have to be made. I don't, I doubt that there's going to be a, per, uh, a firing um, in the middle of a season as, as we're closing in on the playoffs. But I think that there probably is going to be a sort of blank slate in terms of looking at what this defense needs to do to fix some of these things, because it's been going on for far too long. There have been way too many of these problems that keep rearing their, rearing their heads on a daily or on a weekly basis. And Ed, Ed Donatel has got to try to fix it. It has not worked so far. Mike Pettin is assistant head coach, former defensive coordinator. And I guess if you wanted to fire Donatel, I don't know if you can really fire somebody this late into the season. It doesn't seem to make sense to me, but if you wanted to fire Donatel, I guess you could just put Pettin in charge of the defense, but how do we, what we don't know is whether Pettin is already contributing uh, and whether there would be any real change there. Uh, And, you know, the stats, the stats can be complicated, but the stats I think generally indicate that when they blitz, they don't, get home. So blitzing isn't necessarily a solution, but maybe they need to find a way to blitz better because they, they absolutely, there's no doubt that when opposing quarterbacks have time, they pick this defense apart. It's almost might be better to take your shots with the blitz. Well, that or like, so I'm, I'm not a schematic guru, so I can't pretend to have the answer on what the adjustment is, but here's what I look at from the big picture, Jim. We think we we're pretty confident, right? That one of their most talented players on this team, on this defense, is Daniil Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, he's come back from the uh, the injuries, and it's been a long road back and all of those things. But you look at what he does on a weekly basis, and it doesn't seem like he is either comfortable in the system or he's he is in positions to do what he does best. And so... If there is a way, and I again, I don't know, like I'm not the expert here, but if if you look at your defense and say Daniil Hunter is it, it, right now looks like an average to below average defensive player, and we are not getting the impact from him, maybe it is physical and maybe he's not ready for it, but I would take a long, hard look at what you can do to free him up and to get him doing more of the damage that he is used to doing on a defensive line, uh, you know, as a part of a linebacker, you know, he's dropping back into coverage sometimes. Uh, he, it just doesn't seem like they're maximizing him. And so when you look at that and you say, this is a defense with flaws, with holes, but man, Daniil Hunter is a physical specimen. He's incredibly talented and we're not getting enough out of him. Something has to change there to try and put him in more positions where he can be effective. And like I, I think Zadarius 
is obviously very used to playing in the three, four scheme coming from green Bay. So he's had those times where he's been really impactful and really dominant. Um, it looks like Hunter has had a harder time transitioning from four, three to three, four. So there's maybe there's some adjustments that can be made to get him, whether it's putting his hand in the ground, whether it's, um, you know, whatever it is, you know, less, less in pass coverage or something to maximize because he's just too good of a player to not be or to be sort of rendered a little bit lost out there. And that would be just a nice start and then see if you can build off of that. Yeah. And when I zero in on Hunter, I don't, I just don't see him being the player he used to be because he used it to just be. be, it used to be impossible blocking one-on-one. Uh, he gets, and he gets close to the quarterback occasionally now, but he doesn't have that finishing burst. Uh, I think what we can agree on is they need more out of him, whether it's scheming it up, whether it's him uh, getting back to his old explosive ways, probably a combination of the two. But there's no doubt, you know, this has been an unpredictable season in many ways. I think the one way in which it has been very predictable is I think everybody who covers the team this August was saying, if Zedarius Smith and Daniel Hunter get to the quarterback, they have a chance to be good. If those two don't get to the quarterback, this team's in trouble. And it has played out that way. It has. Yeah, absolutely. And there were there have been times in against Detroit as well where it seemed like Hunter had either a beat on the quarterback or the running back as he was trying to chase them down and didn't have that extra gear to get there. So maybe that is, you know, maybe it is more physical than it is scheme fit. But um something has to happen. Uh, This is not sustainable for them to basically go into every game and be Muhammad Ali sitting in the corner against George Foreman and just letting an offense wail away on you and hoping they get tired out. Um, You know, it worked once for Ali. It's worked a couple of times for the defense, but over the long haul, you're just going to get brain damage. And that's what's happening right now. They're just getting pummeled on a weekly basis and trying to hold on for dear life. And that is not a way that this Vikings defense is used to playing. You know, we talked at the start of the show about Justin Jefferson and about the proud history of receivers in this uh, franchise that extends to the defense, obviously as well, purple people eaters with Keith Millard and Chris Dolman and with, um, you know, John Randall and with those groups, like these are defenses that are in Mike Zimmer's crew. Sometimes these are defenses that are used to being more, much more effective and much more impactful on the games themselves. And so to see a Vikings defense, this toothless, um, especially when you seem to be positioned in a season where your offense and your quarterback is coming together the way that it is, uh, it, it, it's really, really disappointing to see that the way that that they have been unable to address so many of the issues that they have been facing all season long. Let's get to more game specifics and Indianapolis specifics. Uh, I don't want to let you know that big banks aren't the only ones with mobile apps and convenient financial services. I'd like to tell you about Star Bank. Star Bank is an independent community bank in Minnesota. They're family owned and treat customer relationships as a top priority. You're not a customer number at Star Bank and they have no call center. It's just banking how it should be a throwback to the good days. Mobile app check, convenient services. You got it. Check out Star Bank for yourself. For deposits and lending solutions, work with the local community bank that cares, starbank.net, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Again, thanks to Headflyer Brewing, which sponsors the John Krasinski Show, our 
Timberwolves and NBA show on this network. Uh, they are going to be hosting the Cheryl Reeve show, 630 Thursday night, December 15th at Head Flyer Brewing Northeast. Come out, have a beer, have a great time. And thanks also to our uh, one of our major sponsors across the network, TSR Injury Law, 612-TSR Time. All right, let's get to some specifics. Second guessing to me is an art because yeah. you could you can't just second guess everything that doesn't work. You have to you almost have to first guess and then be honest about what you first guess. So like when I wrote about today some things I disagreed with O'Connell strategically, I didn't second guess the fourth and one going for it because I liked it at the time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mm-hmm. second guess the onside kick because I know he did it because he didn't have any faith in his defense and I don't have faith in his defense either. So I first guessed and second guessed was a team that has Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Hawkinson, uh, Osborne, trying a jump pass from the three when you're moving the ball at will and Dalvin Cook's never thrown an NFL pass and Johnny Munt is just, you know, your typical non-receiving tight end. I, I just, I hated that call. I thought there was... No reason to get cute. I also think that a play usually works with run-first teams that scare you and freeze up the tight end completely. I just, I just didn't like the call. I didn't like it at either, either Jim. Um, and it, it felt a little bit like this, Jim. It felt like a vanity play, yeah. right? Like, look at how creative I am. Yep. Uh, look at how um, much fun we're having here. And... It, it, and at that time of the game, with that score, with the the way things were going, I do not think that was the the move right there. And like you said, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins was dialed in. He is having a tremendous season, and he's just playing incredibly well lately. Especially, <coughs> excuse me, you have Justin Jefferson, you have, who is a, a great route runner in tight. Adam Thielen's in a, a tremendous red zone off asset. And I think, was that on first down or yes. it was? Yeah. And so, um, I just, you, you had so many bites at the apple that you could have taken. You could have tried to run Dalvin if you wanted to, even though they, they have not been able to run lately at all. Um, but Dalvin did able, score on a, on a red zone handoff. He did. Yes. Yeah. And so, Easily. so to do it that way just felt like too extra and too, I'm going to show these guys how creative I am. And I look, I think Kevin O'Connell's done a tremendous job all season long. I, I love the accountability that he has for himself in some of these situations. I think he's got a great feel for play calling and all of that. But that one right there felt like he was feeling himself a little bit and that I'm going to I'm going to kind of dial it up a little bit. And everyone's going to look at me and, and see what I did. And it really backfired on them. It was it was not a good not a good uh, call at all. I uh, also didn't like, and it might not have mattered, but I didn't like the going for two down 21 to 13. I just don't see why you just don't just yeah. play it out at that point. To me, it's way too early to go for a two-point conversion when the two-point conversion, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I know Greg Joseph has missed a lot of extra points, but you have to play the game as if your kicker can make extra points. Otherwise, you need a new kicker. Uh, I just I just make it 21-14 there. I keep things simple. I don't, I don't put myself in a box by, by missing it. And then, and if you're going to, and then if you're going to run a two point conversion play, don't throw it behind the line of scrimmage. Right. So two things, yeah, two things. First of all, um, the, the screen pass, uh, not a good idea because this team, 
if there's been a weakness beyond like running the ball um, on occasion, it's their screen games terrible, like all of it. And so they haven't executed good screens all season long. So to run that there was really weird. But in general, looking at the philosophical kind of uh, bent to when you're down 14, go for two. Kevin O'Connell was on, I think there was part of my take, excuse me, <coughs> pardon my take, uh, the, the, the podcast this er, earlier last week and was asked about it. Hey, you're down 14. Uh, would you go for two? And there is a movement, if I could say it, in the analytics community yep. that going for two when you're down on the road, especially when you're down 14 later in games, is the way to go because then you, if you get it, you can go for the win on the next, if you score again. And if you don't get it, you just go for two again. And then the, the long-term analytics of going for two on every play uh, is, is better than, than an extra point anyway. And so that you can, you can even it out. That's, that's how the logic goes in this case. I think that it was way too early in the game yep. to go to, to be chasing points to be doing it that way. Cause there was still like three minutes to go in the second, in the third quarter. And so you had a whole nother quarter to go and you're playing a game that does have the feelings of a shootout type of a thing. So to assume that you are going to keep the Detroit offense out of the end zone or, or off the scoreboard the rest of the way, I think was reading the game incorrectly, just given how it was going, given how your defense was playing. And so Ultimately, it didn't matter with the way that they um, the way that the game finished. It's not like they lost by one point or something like that, and they could have used it. But I just think that I can see the argument for doing it later in the game, like midway through the fourth or whatever it is. um, And you want to you want to set it up that way. But it was just far too early for um, for for, to be going to that route when you feel like this is a game where there's going to be multiple more scores on both sides of the operation. I agree completely. Uh, So now this is an interesting place. They have found themselves. Uh, They pretty much can give up on the number one seed. Uh, They have the 49ers coming up from behind and getting in the passing lane for the number two seed. Not that you can just make it a black and white decision on this, but in terms of mentality, if you're Kevin O'Connell, would you rather be the number two seed and play your guys every, you know, all out every week and go into the playoffs, maybe a little banged up and tired? Or would you rather be the three seed and have given your guys some rest? I, I, I think it's the two seed, Jim, for me. Um, you know, I look at it as this is a team that is flawed. We know that we there are holes on this roster that make it so the priority should be to set up the most hospitable environment and the most likely environment that you can go in and get a good matchup and get a win. And so you get that two seed, you get probably a better matchup in the, when in your first opponent you face, you're playing at home, which is going to be a, a big advantage. And so I just think that they have to go, they should go all out to try to maximize getting the two seed having as much home field advantage as you can and really positioning yourself that way, because this is a team I think that absolutely can lose any game and probably can win most any game. And so you want to control the factors that you can control as much as possible. 
and being at home with that two seed, I think is a huge control factor for them that they would want. So if I'm Kevin O'Connell, I'm going all out on these last, uh, what is it, four games and and trying to win out and, and get into it and then solidify that two seed and then go from there. Thanks again to Head Flyer Brewing. Thanks to Star Bank. Thanks to TSR Injury Law. Thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. Let's look ahead now. Uh, the great thing about the NFL is every week the schedule, the future schedule looks a little different depending on what's happening. Vikings get to play a bad Colts team at home on Saturday. I would expect them to bounce back and win that game. Then they're 11-3. Then the last three weeks, a potential playoff preview against a Giants team that I don't think is very good but will probably be good enough to make the playoffs. Then at Green Bay, at Chicago, uh, these are not difficult games if you are a 10-3 and three type team, and yet the way the Vikings are playing right now makes me feel like any of these games could be in jeopardy. Yeah, yeah, that's just it, Jim. Like they can go in and you, you they could lose any of these games. I, I think they'll beat the Colts. I don't. I think I, so too. I, I think that's a pretty fair um, assessment. Uh, or a pretty fair statement to make. Um, but yeah, the rest of them, and I, I really think they should beat the Giants at home. But they should. But those two on the road, the Packers are not very good, but they're they're playing a little bit better. Um, and that's gonna be tough. They never, you know, they never play well against the Bears either. So um all of this is up for grabs. And I can see a scenario where they win out. And they're the two seed, and then they go in feeling pretty good about the momentum that they've established while also knowing that things have to break right for them to, to get on a little run in the playoffs. Or I could see them, you know, losing probably two of four. And I guess you, there's a possibility of losing three of four and plummeting down the 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 playoff tree a little bit and 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 being dicey that way. Whenever you have a defense that is playing like this, anything is up for grabs. And so to me, whatever they can do to address and tweak and change this defense, maybe getting Harrison Smith back will be, a, a, you know, a, a big uh, um, answer to the questions that they're, they're facing. But I think they still face more of them. Um, but th- that's got to be the priority over this last month is to really dig in try different things defensively, see what you can come up with so that when you hit the playoffs, there is some sort of feeling of, okay, we at least have a chance here on defense. And right now they just don't have much of a chance on defense. It seems like they are one game ahead of the 49ers for the second seed, the 49ers remaining schedule at Seattle, which is a challenge, but the the 49ers are favored commanders at 49ers. They will be favored. Uh, 49ers at Raiders, they will be favored, although the Raiders are playing better now. And Cardinals at 49ers, which if the 49ers are playing their people, uh, should be an easy win. So it might be hard to stay ahead of the 49ers. This is going to be a very interesting December drama we have going here. Uh, Let's get a final thought from John. Once again, thank you for listening to TalkNorth.com. Check out the website. Find other shows you like. Listen to Jeff Diamond's Vikings and NFL Insider. Thanks to Star Bank. And we will talk to you again next week to preview that Giants game. Final thought, John. Yeah, just um, in in terms of finishing where we started um, with Justin Jefferson. You know, we talked a lot about kind of you know where he ranks, you know, among in Vikings lore and all those things. To me, one of the things that I love most about Justin Jefferson is that when you see him kind of get corralled a little bit when he has a game where he's held under wraps 
and then you see how he responds. That to me is the sign of this guy is truly special. Like he was held to 14 yards in week three against the lions, went for 147 the next week against new Orleans held, held quote unquote to 98 yards against Arizona, 115 the next week, 193 the following week against Buffalo, held to 33 against Dallas, then went for 139 against New England, held to 45 last week against the Jets, 223. Like this is what you see from the ultimate competitors in this league is how they respond to quote unquote bad games or or quiet games. And the way that he does that is pretty, pretty amazing. No doubt uh, he is averaging 115 yards per game, leading the NFL in that category, 1,500 receiving yards. He, if he averages 125 yards receiving a game the last four games, he will reach that magical 2,000-yard mark. I would not bet against him, and he's a joy to watch. He's just a, just a blast. So, it, hey, as we always say, it's going to be interesting. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.